The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast, great shock. The day after the Fed's latest move, yields are climbing and interest rates for everything from mortgages to car loans to corporate debt are rocketing higher. So how hard is this rapid rise for consumers and businesses to handle? We'll dig into that. Plus, unlucky seven and a bruised apple. Amazon's losing streak now at seven days. The e-commerce giant down more than 20% during the slide and Apple getting hit again. The chart master is here to tell us why he thinks the iPhone maker is going to keep pushing lower. And later, a venti-sized flood of earnings action. Starbucks, Amgen, Block, PayPal, and more. All reporting after the bell. We'll go inside the numbers and the guidance straight ahead. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Markets. I had a full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Adami, and the chart master himself with his very large keyboard, Carter Brackett North. He has a large keyboard. This is, I'm, I'm speaking literally. All right. Literally. All, right. Literally. All right. We start off with another spike higher in interest rates. The yield on two-year treasuries jumping to more than 4.7% for the first time since July 2007. The 10-year also climbing, hitting nearly four and a quarter percent at its highs. The moves coming after the Fed raised interest rates, target rate, another 75 basis points, and suggested it might not stop anytime soon. Higher rates have already had a huge impact on consumers' borrowing costs. Since the central banks first started hiking in March, the rate on a $30,000 home equity line of credit has risen by 300 basis points. 30-year fixed rate mortgages have climbed to more than 7%. Credit card rates and APRs and autos have also climbed. Meantime, the S&P 500 has dropped by more than 10 percent. So how will this all change how companies operate in this environment and what will it mean for their stocks? Guy, what do you think? Margins, number one. I mean, it hurts without question. And, and really, in terms of what we try to do each night, and Tim talks about this all the time, what are you willing to pay in a rising interest rate environment? Now, you'll say, wait a second, we've been four and a half, five percent before. It shouldn't be a big deal. It's the rate of change that's a big deal, number one. I mean, two-year interest rates were 25 basis points seemingly a year and a half ago. So that's significant. And then servicing the debt on these things. So it's a multiple on S&P 500 earnings, earnings that are going down almost by definition because they have to. So what's the right multiple in this environment? I would submit, and I'm not saying I'm right, 15, 15 and a half in this environment makes sense. Off a $200, $210 in earnings, you can start doing that math. The right price for the S&P should be somewhere between 3200 and 3400 For all the consumers out there who got their auto loans, who pay off their credit card balances, who got their mortgages a year ago or so, good for you. But all the other rest of you folk out there, you're being subject right now to very, very a, a steep 
great environment, Tim, and that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I mean, for, the good news, though, is for folks that your cash is actually working something. So for investors out there, you need to be pushing and cash management should be an everyday exercise for people looking to see where they're earning nothing on their money. Push your banks around, get yourself into three and six month T-bills, even if you're just doing cash management. But if you get back to where the Fed is, where the Fed was yesterday, it wasn't, you know, it's not how fast, it's how far. And so if you look at what happened to interest rates over the last couple of days, that two year went from 443 to 471 in, in essentially a, one session. Uh, but you look at what happened to the Fed fund futures curve, and you don't have to be, again, you can find this information, but what really is happening is the peak of Fed fund futures went from April out to July. It was 475 a week ago. It's now at to 515. So you're getting some sense of where we are. Uh, I, I think you get back to a couple things. The Fed, their 2% inflation target ain't happening anytime soon. And there's three or four reasons why we talk about the death of globalization. We talk about the stickiness of the housing market. We talk about healthcare costs, which continue to go higher. And I think these are things that you have to think about, but it comes back to the market, which Guy said, so I won't touch the valuation side. I'll say, what sectors do you want to own in this environment? And, and banks, by the way, have the best exposure to real rates, and they've been outperforming since their earnings. And then I would go back to energy, because in an inflationary environment, the energy sector is outperforming, and it will continue to outperform. Yeah, Carter. I mean, the thing about banks, of course, is that the if you really are going to go into a slowdown, we know the charge-offs start, right? The loan loss provisions, and they haven't Credit. really taken measures for that. So it is a cyclical error. But one thing that is important about the market and, Guy, you mentioned this, and it's the valuation issue. Valuation is a very tough thing. Do you get a trough multiple on trough earnings? That's, that's the, the rarity, right? So do, are we really going to get a 14 multiple on a, on a 20% decline in earnings? Because then you're going into the high 2900s. I suspect it is closer to 3100. But the main thing is, what is the premise to be really bullish here? It just doesn't, have, it doesn't, carry, doesn't carry water. Well, high, not only higher, but longer. I mean, yes. this higher rate will be with us for longer. So how do you extract, how do you project that onto a multiple Well, the market, the market always is, is always six to eight months ahead anyway. So you're going to see the drop in, in the market. You're going to see the buying opportunity before we're actually out of the woods of a recession anyway. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you let off the show, 3.5% 30-year in February, 7% now, over 7%. Yeah. Why hasn't housing adjusted more? Lack of supply. People aren't moving. I mean, you know, there's or tip of the, liquid or tip of the They haven't still. yet. Right. And, and what, what is the Fed looking to do? Crush demand. We haven't got to crush demand yet because housing hasn't responded in an adequate fashion yet. Well, so there's more to come. Well, that's the bad news. And that's right. So you're more to come. That's about, and I saw you. By the way, yes, I saw you on the Today Show today, which is amazing. You sh- I mean, you're, you're crushed it. And you mentioned exactly that. What's changed is it's going to be longer duration. I don't think the market was expecting that, which is why we saw the precipitous decline that we did yesterday and probably will continue to see. With that said, Steve is exactly right. They're trying to crush demand, which makes tomorrow's jobs number extraordinarily important, because if you get a good job number in terms of things haven't gotten deteriorated on the jobs front, that really makes a difficult job for them that much more and, difficult. And let's give Dan credit. Dan said that Powell, Dan Nathan, Dan Nathan Powell Dan, Dan got a first look at that report. Bef- and and, and I, not that he maybe it was in the interview process that he can parse his words. Obviously, the written process of the Fed meeting was already done long mm-hmm. before that. But it's probably going to be a pretty good number tomorrow. Well, we also get we get two jobs reports before the next Fed meeting. So it sort of, that sort of complicates things. If you think that we're going to get any answers based on tomorrow's report, we got that. We got, We've got another one. We got a CPI report. I mean, there's a lot of, of data still to come. In a way, the worst thing that 
could have happened is that we bounced so much. Think about it. The October 13th mm-hmm. low, uh, we went up almost 12%, 13%. If we'd gone down 12%, 13%, we could be almost done with this. We'd be at close to 3000 And then mm-hmm. the Fed, and they are watching stock prices. We know stock prices are in the leading indicator index. They would be much more concerned. The bounce allows them to say, hey, we can be a little tougher. But, and, and how can we be done with this, though? And I know you're not saying we should be, but if you think about where uh, the apples of the world, and you're going to show some, some interesting charts later in the show that may set that table, I, you know, Apple hasn't given us a demand warning. We haven't heard from a lot of the mega cap tech stocks, even though it was a tough week for Google and Microsoft and others. And I, I just think this is an environment where that labor market that we're talking about, it, it's going to be sticky. There, there are not qualified people for most jobs out there, and we're going to be like that till we get north of 5% on the unemployment rate. So if you want to talk about where the market has to finally begin to, to settle with realities, we're six to nine to 12 months away. Scary numbers, a scary statement out of the BOE this morning. And again, this is the Bank of England, not our central bank. But they yeah. were the one central bank that went out there and said, you know what, we're going to have a recession in the second half a of A very 22. bad one. A bad one. And that's and then, why peak rates might not be as high as you think they will be. Yeah. And then, <laughs> by the way, we're going to have one in 23 and we're probably going to be into 24. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people going to the pubs just hanging out because it's it's painting that kind of a picture, which tells you, though, the duration, maybe the word of the day. We just we're not getting through this quickly. It doesn't mean that you can't have these enormous trading rallies. And that's what we're having. All right. For more on the impact of rising rates on corporate debt specifically, let's bring in Chris White, the CEO of data company BondClick. His clients include major corporate bond dealers. Chris, always great to get your take. Um, just keying off of, of this notion of higher for longer. How much risk do you think that poses, particularly to companies who've gotten triple B ratings and, and maybe in jeopardy of, of falling below investment grade? Well, it's great to be back. And I think that credit's definitely going to be in a lot of people's minds uh, for the foreseeable future because the actions of the Fed are going to have a direct impact on anyone who's holding corporate debt out there and for a lot of the big corporate debt issuers. What we've seen over the past uh, six or seven years is just a monstrous growth in overall corporate borrowing with the triple B sector growing to be about 50% of the outstanding debt in the US corporate bond market. Now, as levels are rising, and you know Powell and the Fed keeps indicating that they're going to be lifting rates into the near future, we have to start looking at companies differently. We have to start looking at whether or not these companies are gonna be able to refinance themselves without being downgraded. I mean, the other side to this is that a lot of investors have bought these triple B rated companies because the yields are so much higher. And so they they are also at risk in terms of having to purge these from a portfolio. And, and that could re- really create a, a very a vicious cycle. Yeah, to, to walk you through the steps here. And this is something that I don't know whether the Fed is really looking at this. But, you know, the interest rate environment is definitely uh, directly controlled by their actions. But then the market does have some influence over it. So with this case, with, with what you've just described, uh, if a triple B uh, rated company uh, needs to refinance and they're finding that the the rates to refinance are a lot higher and it starts to kick them into high yield territory in terms of being downgraded. And I think we have some data here regarding Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse has about uh, $35 billion in debt outstanding that has to be retired or is going to mature in the next five years. So when you look at what's happening with Credit Suisse just as a name in the marketplace, they're in a little bit of trouble. They were just downgraded to just a notch above um, high yield by S&P. So now looking at the forward forecast, what can Credit Suisse expect in terms of the interest rates they're going to have to pay to refinance that debt? It could kick them into high yield territory, which would mean that all Credit Suisse bonds would have to be purged out of investment grade bond portfolios. 
And, and Chris, if you can educate me and, and all of us here, actually, in, ter in terms of, you know, corporate um, AAA rated investment grade uh, debt, the best debt out there, the best corporate debt out there, even that has has suffered terribly this year. So even a, a portfolio of the highest rated, uh, you know, biggest companies in the United States, they've lost, what, a third of their value or so in, in this past year. Um, are there holders of this debt that will have to somehow do something because they're forced to mark to market these losses? Yeah, th this is actually, I, I heard a little bit earlier before I came on, you were talking about duration risk. I think that duration risk is going to be the leading topic of 2023, mainly because you have high quality corporate uh, credit names that are losing massive value on their bonds. And what happened here was we talk about the reach for yield that occurred with people that may be investing in triple B rated debt. And there's definitely some risk there now as those companies may be in trouble. But also, uh, you know, highly rated companies, companies that you don't worry about, like a company like Apple, for example, they have a ton of paper out there. And what Apple did was they issued a lot, a lot of long dated debt that had low coupons. And so now as the Fed starts raising rates, that debt must be repriced much lower in order for it to match what current market rates are. So what we're seeing, and there was an excellent article written by Tracy Alloway from Bloomberg, she wrote a piece about how um, if you had a million dollar portfolio uh, filled with investment grade bonds, all of great names, Apple, Oracle, JP Morgan, that portfolio is now priced at about 650,000 in the market today. So as Powell talks about going higher and, and for longer, um, where does that portfolio go? You could have an investment grade portfolio with high quality names going below 50 cents on the dollar if it's going to match current interest rates. Chris, we mentioned you know, the Fed put probably is not in the S&P. Carter said they watch. I agree. But it's probably much lower than we are now. I would submit below 3,000. But credit and the credit concern, the credit market is something that has to be in their purview. Has not broken, but there are glimpses. What do you watch? We talk about the HYG, the LQD. Is there something people at home should be watching to give an indication that something's happening in the credit markets? Well, it depends on what you're looking at. <clears throat> if you're looking at a portfolio where you're taking on a bunch of duration risk, there's really not much you can do through here. You're going to have to ride this out because to sell is probably the worst thing you can do. It's just these bonds are now matching the, the current interest rate environment and, and you can't really protect yourself. But I, I think that what really the, the Fed should be watching, what the market should be watching is what's going to happen when a lot of these triple B rated companies have to refinance. If they're refinancing at much, much higher rates, this really puts them in a position in which they're going to be downgraded. If they are downgraded, then the, the raising of rates is going to not be done by the Fed. It's going to be done by just this onslaught of cheap credit that's going to be available in the marketplace, which then creates even larger problems for other issuers because they're going to have to offer really attractive interest rates to attract any sort of investors. So this, there could be a domino effect here. And, I, and, and you say the Fed's looking at the equities market. I think one of the biggest problems with just whether it's Fed policy or whether it's any sort of uh, governmental policy is there's actually not enough good, clean data in the corporate bond market for you to be able to make a definitive objective statement about what's happening here. And now this market is 10 trillion in outstanding size. I think it absolutely needs to be addressed in a way in which credit and what you could be doing to the corporate bond markets needs to be factored into a lot of these Fred conversations. Chris, it's always great to get your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. Chris White of BondClick. Tim. Well, we, we've talked often about that, that 
you know, that triple B minus tranche on a yeah. downgrade and what goes. And, and, and we look every day at the high yield spreads. I think investors, again, you can do that. You can log into the, the Bank of America high yield OAS spreads and you can get a sense of where we are relative to history. I'll just go ha- glass half full for a second. I, I think for investors right now, this is an incredible opportunity where the credit markets can offer equity like returns if you're moving up the qual- credit quality and you watch your duration. And if you look at some of these companies, you can get 10, 11 percent in, in very, very high grade companies in opportunities that you haven't had for a long time. So for a lot of investors out there, it's a scary time. It's also an opportunity. We're putting cash to work uh, on the credit side and in fixed income is a great opportunity. All right. Coming up, a number of big names on the move in the after hour session. Starbucks, Amgen Square, PayPal, Coinbase, all reporting results. We're breaking down the action ahead, plus basic binge. Netflix rolling out its new basic with ads commercial plan. So will the ad tier help subscriptions take off? We got the details when Fast Money returns back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks shares rising after the company said U.S. customers spent more on their orders in its latest quarter. The earnings call just kicked off at the top of the hour. And Pippa Stevens has been listening in. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. The call underway. And the key thing here is 2023 guidance. Nothing on that quite yet. But we did just learn that incoming CEO Lakshman Narasimhan will join the call for the Q&A portion. It's the first time we're hearing from him after Starbucks outlined a reinvention plan back in September. As you said, the company beat estimates and same store sales jumped 7 percent, which was well ahead of expectations. Much of that was thanks to an increase in a ticket as well as a slight uptick in U.S. traffic. China, though, weighing on international same store sales, which were down 5 percent overall and 16 percent in the country due to ongoing covid restrictions. But that is actually an improvement from the third quarter when China's same store sales dropped 44 percent. And don't miss Starbucks CFO Rachel Ruggieri tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Melissa. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens on Starbucks. Uh, Tim, you own this one. 
I do. By the way, Merry Christmas in Starbucks. I think we went earlier this year on the Christmas cups. Just uh, get out there. Like the have, red. Yeah, the red, Mariah Carey. I mean, it's fun now. It's not going to be fun in a month when you're still hearing that song. But They'll we, be on Easter then. Well, yeah. So for Starbucks, though, part of this was U.S. same-store sales up 11.2%. Uh, what I thought was the most impressive, though, was that they're actually giving you a 15 to 20% EPS guide annually over the next three years. This is a company that hasn't been able to get that. But this is a company, and this is where I worry, they've been able to pass all of this pricing on to the U.S. consumer. And the U.S. consumer, they bought. They bought and they bought and they said. Higher ticket sizes, uh, loyalty programs that continue to grow. When you're loyal, you're loyal to Starbucks. I'm arraigned in that court. I, I worry that there's a limit to where, you, you know, if this consumer gets downgraded, all, that last block, we just, when right. that consumer is starting to feel it in other places, at some point they're not spending six bucks about, on that latte. You know, 30% not even APR on your credit card in, a, in a more, an auto payment that's bigger than your mortgage or whatever. It's right. Terrible. But I mean, one thing about, I mean, it's not unique to Starbucks in the sense that the restaurant group, right, if you look over the last three months, S&P 500, restaurant group, 400 mid-cap restaurants, they're up 10%. The market's flat. And year to date, they're down half as much as the market. So you've got cheesecake on the move, got DRI, uh, yum. It, it goes on and on. I think it's a fantastic instance of a bearish to bullish reversal. You know, the main headwind, though, is China. So China, they have 6,000 stores. They're trying to go to 9,000 stores by 2025. That really hinges. That's the growth segment. So I'm not sure how many $6 lattes is going to keep the growth story well, ask going. Guy, how long have you been you going know, with the soy I'm, milk? I'm keeping my is, mom sitting quiet over he here. He is. He is keeping Is it soy? Is it almond? What are you doing? Frappuccino. You, everybody done? With the caramels. <laughs> I, no is the answer. I don't, I don't like Starbucks you know coffee. As Bitter. a matter of fact, yeah, I think it's miserable. Ball. I get the medicine miserable? ball. Come yes, on. Tim, I use that. Medicine ball, by the way, has lovely peach in it. It's fantastic. I'll say this, though, quickly, and Tim would agree with this. What are you talking about? Look it up. Go to your Google machine. <laughs> Whatever it is, it costs more than $10. <laughs> and 25 times next year's numbers, a lot of the good news is baked in. I'll yes. say, though, if China does reopen, 25 times is actually probably cheap. Yep. Yeah, it's 17% of its revenues, China. Um, we've got another company reporting earnings. Amgen topping estimates for revenue and earnings per share. The biotech giant now narrowing its outlook for the year. Christina Parks Nevelis joins us now to break down the numbers. Christina. Oh, the biotech company, like you said, beating on the top and bottom line. There was a lot of volume growth outside the United States. Company also lowering operating costs. But you got to keep in mind, Amgen made a $400 million licensing-related payment that wasn't repeated this year. The stock, though, climbing on the news, even after having a 9% run-up just over the last, or I should say 7% run-up just over the last two weeks or so, revenue did fall 1% year-over-year because of a 5% net price decline as well as a 2% impact from foreign exchange headwinds. The company, you mentioned, narrowing its full year 2022 revenue guidance. But I was just listening on the conference call right now and <coughs> excuse me, analysts are very interested in AMG 133, a drug that could help fight obesity and rival similar drugs from uh, drug maker Novo Nordisk, Nordisk, as well as Eli Lilly. The company expects phase two of the trial to happen in the near term. They didn't give details of what near term means, saying they will reveal more trial data first week of December. Back over to you. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsenevelas, what do you think of biotech? Well, biotech is the most interesting part of healthcare. We know you've got the big names like Lilly and Merck all doing well, and Amgen's sort of a market performer. Always commands a high multiple, but it's, it's a fairly safe asset. The, the real opportunity is in these high beta names, all of which lost 60, 70% that are starting to turn. Yeah. Enbrel is a monster drug. Amgen has about eight to 10 drugs that will do probably north of a billion dollars in revenue for the year, number one. Third quarter, they beat by 26 cents. I think what people might be a little upset about is they tweaked guidance, but they only raised it by what they beat and they lowered the top end. With all that said, 
that's a bit of a sandbag. They'll probably earn closer to $18 a share, which makes the stock less than 15 times next year's numbers, which is too cheap for a stock that recently made an all-time high. Amgen, we like for a while. I continue to like it. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Ads to the rescue? Netflix's latest plan goes live today as it looks to boost subscribers. But will the commercial kick be enough to get this streamer revved up? The details next. Plus, jobs, jobs, jobs. What tomorrow's big report will say about where the economy stands. The traders break down what to expect. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big day for bingers on a budget as Netflix rolls out its ad-supported tier. So will a lower-cost option give it a leg up in the non-linear space? Julia Borson's covering the rollout. It's got more. Julia. Well, Melissa, today Netflix launched its new $7 a month ad-supported subscription option. That's $3 less than the basic Netflix subscription service that doesn't have ads. Netflix tells us there will be a limited number of titles that aren't available due to licensing restrictions. They say they're working on that. They also tell us that the titles that are available represent an average of between 85% to 95% of what's most popular on Netflix right now, depending on the country. We did see that some titles, including some James Bond and Morbius from Sony, are appearing as locked. That gives users the option to change their plan and to pay a little bit more to watch those films. Today's launch does come about a month ahead of the launch of Disney's $8 a month ad-supported tier. And it really marks a new phase in the streaming wars, a fight to hold on to consumers who are looking to cut back on spending by giving them cheaper options. Netflix warned that this would be a slow ramp up of its ad business. But once Netflix with ads is at scale, we'll have to see if its ad inventory can steal share from Hulu, Peacock, Paramount Plus, HBO Max or even YouTube. And Melissa, while I'm here, some other big advertising news. More big advertisers are pausing spending on Twitter. This according to a new report out from the Wall Street Journal, naming General Mills, Audi, Mondelez, Pfizer. We connected with General Mills. They confirmed and told us, quote, we will continue to monitor this new direction and evaluate our marketing spend. Melissa? I have two questions for you, Julie. How should we view um, ad dollars that go on to either an Internet platform like a Twitter and ad-supported streaming service like a Netflix? Are those usually the same sorts of dollars? Is there competition there, do you think? There's usually, I think, a different category between Twitter and what's happening on the ad-supported streaming. I think that that Netflix is hoping to draw a share from traditional television, right, from traditional ad dollars or from even old-fashioned ad formats like, um, say, radio or outdoor advertising. But they're trying to draw a share from some of these traditional formats and also compete for those streaming video ad dollars. It's kind of a different 
format. Twitter um, is, is kind of its own category. Remember, it's a much smaller platform than, say, a meta, but they have direct response ads and they have really been trying to invest in their brand advertising business. Um, but remember, they don't maybe know as much about the user than a meta does. So it's, it's a different type of advertising. And I think that the big brands like General Mills, they want to make sure that their brand is in a safe environment. If you're advertising on Netflix, if you're advertising on Hulu, you know exactly what that content is going to be. It's not user generated. So that's why I think these are, are sort of two different categories. It almost seems though premature for these companies to say we're going to pause because we think there it, it might not be a safe environment. I mean, nothing has really happened well, so far. Well, that's not necessarily true. There was one study that found that there was a 500% increase in hate speech on the platform just on Friday, the day after Elon Musk took over. And so there's this question of whether or not trolls or, or, or different people are testing the limits of what is appropriate on Twitter. So I think for now, you know, Elon Musk has been meeting with advertisers trying to reassure them. They want to understand that their brands are going to be in a safe environment. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. I, I don't know where you want to go here, mm. Twitter or, or Netflix. <clears throat> I feel like I'd be baited if I went to Twitter politically wise. Why? Because, of course, it has to be an increase in hate. You just if you're did this only, to yourself, by the way. Yeah, I, know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gave you that. the option, and you <laughs> yeah. went so, down that so road. I'm going to go down that road. So <laughs> I think there's got to be an increase in what you could. First of all, I don't know what's considered hate speech. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what. What is? I. I you. You. Right. You know it when you see it, right? But if you're only hearing one side of a fight, there's going to be no hate speech. Does that make sense? I think what okay. Elon Musk is trying to do is get multiple viewpoints on the platform. Every, everyone knows there, there shouldn't be hate speech, right? So, so that, that, that's a given. Do you get where I'm going or no? Yeah, I mean, he's already told an EU regulator that they are going to comply with very strict EU rules when it comes to content. So it, it seems there seems to be early indications that Elon Musk is, is, is willing to comply to some modicum of, of standard. Well, you can only go so far until you break, <laughs> break your, your machine, right? You are, and your reputation, yes. Yeah. I, I just think the things that I've heard over the last couple of days that are more impressive are the ways he's trying to monetize. And, and, and by right. the way, he doesn't have to worry about public markets that just don't care anymore. Right. right. So, so that, that's actually what's interesting. But, but to I me. mean, if you were a Twitter shareholder, wouldn't you be glad if, if Twitter, before Elon Musk, it says we're going to charge for the blue check mark, we're yes. going to charge for DMing, yes. we are going to charge the, the, for this the, and that? The things he's he doing are things that I would have been happy about as a former Twitter shareholder, right. except for I don't own the stock anymore. So I think what he's doing is good for the intrinsic value of the company. But, um, you know, I'd rather talk about Netflix. Netflix. Jacob Ellis <laughs> versus Ohio. If Potter Stewart were here, unfortunately, he can't be with us. He would say, I'll know it when I see it. You can go to your Google see? machines right now and check that out. In terms of Netflix, Tim, Let's thanks for bringing yeah, that sure. up. Carter Braxton Worth has been saying for the longest time when Netflix was down in the 180s or so, there are gaps to be filled on the upside. And if we were to trade up to 300, we would successfully fill those gaps. And when tw Netflix was 180, we talked about it for the first time in a long time. You can make an argument on valuation. All true. Traded 303 the other day. It's given back 10 percent in two and a half trading days. There'll be another place to reload, I think, on the long side. But unfortunately, I think it's closer to two and a quarter. Coming up, October jobs numbers on deck. What tomorrow's report will say about the labor market. We're hitting that next. And check out Square, PayPal, and Coinbase on the move after their latest earnings reports. We'll break down the numbers when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. More signs that job growth in the tech world is slowing. Payment processing company Stripe today slashing 14 percent of its workforce. Lyft cutting back by 13 percent. And Amazon telling staff it is pausing hiring for corporate roles. The three moves comes ahead of tomorrow's October jobs report. Our next guest sees employment gains ahead for the overall economy. Michelle Meyer is a U.S. chief economist for the MasterCard Economics Institute. It analyzes the big trends through the lens of consumers. Michelle, great to see you. Nice to be here. Thanks, Melissa. The conspiracy theory here on this desk, Michelle, is that tomorrow's report will be very strong. And that's why Jerome Powell was extra hawkish during the news conference. So what are you what are you looking for tomorrow? Well, I think, you know, the consensus forecast of somewhere close to 200,000 job growth sounds about right. It would show that the economy is still adding jobs well in excess of what you would need to see to keep up with the labor force. It would show that the unemployment rate should remain sticky low, and it would suggest that we're going to still see wage growth, albeit maybe some moderation in the pace of wage growth. The overall story for the labor market, I think, is still very clear that there's still excess demand meeting a lack of supply, and that's creating this tightness in the labor market, even if it's not quite as tight as it was, say, six months ago. Um, how do you think about the unemployment rate um, and, and where it needs to go when the Fed says that the terminal rate is going to be higher and it's going to be there for longer? Well, you know, when you think about the Fed and their dual mandate, price stability, full employment, I think the general view and what Fed Chair Powell tried to communicate um, yesterday is that they have done more than they've needed to do in terms of full employment. The unemployment rate is arguably too low. It's creating uh, too much inflationary pressure and too much kind of overheating in that economy. So it's natural to start to see that unemployment rate pick up. And that is what's needed in order to feel confidence that they've done enough in terms of increasing interest rates, transmitting that tighter monetary policy into the economy to hold back inflation. So if you look at the Fed's own forecasts from the September meeting, they have an unemployment rate in the mid 4% range. That might be enough. Or maybe it does need to be a bit higher, but it's going to be a function of when you see um, the shifts in the real economy that really generate that moderation in inflation. Hey, Michelle, it's Tim. Thanks for joining. So outside of labor, which you've just described is, is why it's sticky for longer, but at some point there's some relief. But I, I used the term earlier in the show, folly, as it related to the Fed's 2% inflation target. I, I think we'll never see that again in my lifetime, based upon a, a number of secular trends that didn't just happen, uh, and the end of 40, you know, four decade secular trends that have happened. Your view. Right. Right. Look, I think 2% is still fair. Um, I mean, think about it prior to the pandemic, we were all talking about how we'll never get to 2%, that maybe that inflation target is too high, or maybe we should actually aim even higher because it's so hard to actually generate inflation. And then the pandemic happened, and we saw an extraordinary amount of monetary and fiscal policy. And we we saw this you know, pullback of the supply side of the economy because of supply chain issues and because of the dislocations that the pandemic led. And all of a sudden, we have above 8% inflation, and we've had above 8% inflation for the better part of this year. Um, I do think there is a path to get back to a lower inflationary environment. Look at the good side of the economy. We're already seeing some disinflationary pressure there when you look at core goods. Um, and that's a function of inventory starting to build um, and the fact that there's still these technological advancements that are ultimately disinflationary. So I think it is achievable. It's just hard to appreciate that when we're in an environment where inflation has been really high for too long. Michelle, thank you. 
Good to see you, Michelle Meyer, MasterCard. All right, uh, Steve, what do you make of the action today in, in terms of anticipation of tomorrow's report? I, I think that people have to realize that the market's going to get worse, right? Powell is not going to defend the equity market. The market's going to go lower. Rates are going to go higher. I do believe we're going to get a rally into year end based off the midterm elections. And as I said last night, we're really burning daylight for the amount of days between now and when the election cycle happens going into year end. I mean, let's just say it's 50-50 and rates are going to go up or down. Start with that premise. If rates okay. are going to keep going up, there's no way the market equities are going to be in good shape. And if rates start dropping here meaningfully, something's wrong. Equities go lower. Either way, what's the premise to be bullish? What if they stay around where they are? I mean, they've been here forever. I mean, already. I mean, it's, it's still, there's just no growth. There's no Lower reason. multiple. Yep. It's what you pay for earnings, right? And I'm with Carter on this one. If rates are going down in a meaningful way, something bad has happened, and you're going to bonds as a flight to quality because the equity market's getting torched. And if rates are going higher from here, it's not a good scenario because it's not about growth. It's about inflation still out of control. So I'm with Dubs. All right. Dubs. CBW. Yeah, well, we just call them Dubs sometimes. It happens, Mel. You just call them Dubs sometimes. Coming up, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but the chart master says forget that, what he sees in store for the tech titan. And we are keeping an eye on shares of Square, PayPal, and Coinbase after their latest quarterly reports. The details from their quarter straight ahead. And speaking of earnings, don't miss the CEO of DoorDash and Squawk Box tomorrow on the back of that company's report. That's 8.15 a.m. right here on CNBC. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. A new report finds Apple is pausing hiring for roles outside research and development. The report comes as the iPhone maker's stock loses more value. The stock is now down almost 11 percent just this week. The chartmaster thinks it's primed for a breakdown. Uh, Carter, what are you looking at? Well, it's a big old mess, but let's look at the, this is kind of fun here. Watch. It looks busy, but we can walk through it quickly. So if you look at the past 20 years, um, Apple has outperformed the market in 15 and underperformed in five. But forget that. It's all about your Kager, your compounded annual growth rate. S&P 7.6, Apple 37.4. So what that means is 100 grand in the S&P, you got 432 grand. 100 grand in Apple, you got 57 million. Now, is that meaningful? No. But what is meaningful is Apple's relative performance, which has been oh so good, is really starting to uh, break down. Let's look at some charts. So the first chart is basically a ratio chart. It's just Apple divided by the S&P. So it's not about the y-axis. It's about the direction of the line. If the blue line is rising, Apple is outperforming the S&P. If it's declining, it's underperforming. And what we know is that we have come down to this trend line to the penny and Today, we just broke below it. Now, let's look at a longer-term chart, and it's the same circumstance. Same circumstance. Let's look. This is 02. Remember, it looks like the same, but now that was only five. This is 20 years of outperformance, and the whole thing looks like it's going to basically give way here. Uh, all things that are great come to an end. And it doesn't have to be the end of Apple. But just remember, Cisco is worth more comp- than anyone in the world. Where is Cisco? So was AT&T. So was U.S. Steel. So was General Motors. So was Exxon. You, you can be on top a long time, but you can't stay on top. What is the next level when, it, when we see this break, I mean, that you're watching? Right. So, again, not shown here. This is a relative chart. But Apple's done 4.5% today. 
I think it's got another at least 15 to 20 percent to go. 15 or 20 percent. Okay. Um, Guy Dami, what do you think? Down 15 or 20 percent? I'll I'll get you to 125. I can get in that ballpark. Uh Obviously, 20 percent is lower than that. But we talked about it in earnings quickly. The stock traded down to this level post-earnings. It rallied when Amazon had a miserable quarter. It was a flight to quality. This stock traded 158 two and a half, three days ago. I'm with Carter on this one. It's still an expensive stock in this environment. If you think the market's going lower, the market doesn't bottom until Apple bottoms. It doesn't, it doesn't, market doesn't hit a bottom when you sell your Zoom. It's when everyone on this trading desk or all the holders, and I don't mean all, but the incremental holder sells their Apple. Apple is supposed to be a quasi safe bet in the marketplace. When people sell their Apple, that's when you could say the market is bottom. Why is Apple trading at an 80% uh, you know, tile of, of its you know, last one-year valuation average? It shouldn't be trading near the top of that. If you look at Apple in February of 2020, it was an $80 stock that had just rallied 60% from its lows of 2019. In other words, this stock had major momentum going into COVID, and since COVID, it's traded from 80 up to where it is. The valuation's too high, and it's too big of a weight in the markets. That's another conversation for another day, but this is what we're seeing going on with mega cap tech, and, and they, it just shouldn't be this big of a structural weighting, not only in, in our market, but in the global economy. Well, this is one component, Carter, of your call of S&P 500 to 3,100 or so, right? I mean, what are some of the other generals that we need to see go substantially lower well, from here? Well, a lot of them, for, it's underway. We know Microsoft uh, is right. breaking down Google, but what we've had that's kept the market from really taking its down leg is we've got this money flow into things like McDonald's, into Caterpillar. But um, those things are already exploited. So here and now, you have a circumstance where money has come out of the big, heavy tech names. It's gone into some other sort of safety, quasi-safety names. But the net of it is, now that it's gone into those, those are already extended, and the apples are dead. So there's, there's nothing left to play. On that note, up next, <laughs> wow. final <Sad>. trades. <laughs> For the final trade, Tim. Yeah, Walmart reports in about a week and a half. And I tell you, this is the environment where Walmart outperforms. We got that inventory warning, and I think you're ready to go. Carter? It's best to maintain a defensive posture, and if you've got shorts, good. Keep a short in the SPY. Steve Grasso. XLE looks double toppy to me. Sell XLE. Say thank you for the profits. Guy you have an entire city that's not happy with you. You say, why is that, Guy? Because last that? night, what did I ask? I said to you, Mel, would the Phillies of Philadelphia take a commanding 3-1 lead in the World Series tonight? And you said, absolutely. Didn't you say that? Why? What does that have to do with anything? Tim, no what hit. happened last night? They got no hit by, like, 15 pitchers. Not because they of got me. No hit, so there are a lot of counts. people that believe you are the cause. So I'm going to give you another shot. Oh, okay. <laughs> Game five tonight, Phillies or Astros? Mel, Phillies. Phillies. Wow. I'm with you on that one. Look at Amgen. Those numbers were fantastic, Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.